From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and humor. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has represented injured party, injured parties in... I am tongue-tied. <laughs> Injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show. Good afternoon, Derek. And thank you. Good afternoon to you. I still have the best hostess in the business. <laughs> tongue-tied or not, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, www.statushomedesign.com, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. <laughs> I love that car crash every time. <laughs> All right, let's get started. If you did not get a chance to listen to the most recent show, I encourage all of you listening now to go back and take the time. In the last show, Derek answered many of the common questions regarding insurance coverage and how it all works. It was fascinating, and I think all of us that did listen, we learned a lot. I know I sure did. And there was also discussed several misconceptions or myths about having full coverage and what that really means. So, Derek, what was the number one response? What was the feedback that you got? Well, thankfully, I received a lot of feedback. There were lots of questions that were submitted, lots of uh, compliments, and I'm not going to just take those for myself. They were also for you as well. But the main question that I think that went unanswered, a, a point that I did not get a chance to address, is something called gap insurance. Yes. All right. So that was an I don't know what gap insurance is. So well, you're saying that term, and, and I'm here, uh, the voice of everyone listening. And before we jump into it, let me pause and tell all of our listeners, if they have a question, how do they submit the questions to you? The best way to do it is go to my website. It's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S dot com. So again, Derek M. Hayes dot com. Once you get to the website, you'll see the Contact Us tab. Click on that, and there's a form you can fill out and put your question and submit it, and then we will definitely get to it, if not in the next show, uh, on one of the shows down the road. I've, I've received many questions and, and really a lots of requests for certain topics to be covered, so I look forward to getting to all those. Absolutely. So one topic we did not have time for on the last show, we're going to jump right into it right now, gap insurance. Yeah, gap insurance. There were actually two specific questions. I think one was a lady that did not have it and uh, learned a lesson from it. The other was someone who is getting ready to purchase a vehicle and was really asking whether or not she needed to purchase that as well. So gap insurance in Georgia, if your car is totaled as a result of a car wreck, the insurance company is only responsible for paying the value of the vehicle on the day the wreck occurred. Well, the problem is, more often than not, people finance cars, and with interest rates that many times could be very high, you may owe more on your vehicle than your vehicle is actually worth. So if you're driving a vehicle that's only worth $3,000, 
and ultimately you owe five, well, then you owe an additional $2,000 above and beyond the 3000 the insurance company would pay you. In fact, statistically, vehicles typically lose about 20% of their value in the first year. Uh, but with that being said, if you purchase gap insurance, that insurance coverage will pay the deficit between what you owe and what the car was worth. So in the example, if you owe 5000 and the vehicle's only worth three, the insurance company cuts you a check for 3000 for the total loss. The gap insurance would then pay that difference of 2000 so you're not having to come up with that money out of pocket. Um, so for people that have financed a vehicle for 60 months or longer, which seems to be a very popular thing nowadays, uh, if you're leasing a vehicle, you're typically required to carry gap insurance. And really, many dealerships now offer gap insurance as part of their financing terms. If they do, and you know you're going to owe more at some point than that car is worth, I strongly encourage you to get it. It's, it's not expensive. And if the dealership doesn't offer it, you can also get that through your own car insurance company. So for those folks that, again, feel like you're going to owe more at a certain point than what your vehicle's worth, Gap insurance is a good idea. Again, it's typically very inexpensive. If you've paid your vehicle off, there's no reason to cover or carry gap insurance. You have no issue where you're going to owe more than what the car is worth. Okay, well, good. That's very informative, and I'm glad those questions came in because I, I definitely did not know that. I was not aware of, of what gap insurance was. All right, here's a biggie. We've got to talk about this today because it is all over the news. Uh, you would be living under a rock right now if you had not heard coronavirus and, you know, are being kind of scared through the media. So we're not going to talk about the medical aspect. This is not a medical show. But what we are going to talk about is possibly some legal ramifications here attached to the coronavirus. Uh, so here's the question. If someone contracts coronavirus and they are able to determine where and when they got it, can they file a lawsuit to get any type of compensation? Specifically, if I was on that cruise ship and I come off that cruise ship with coronavirus, is that cruise line in any way liable? The, the answer is yes. Potentially, there can be liability on behalf of the, intro, or the uh, cruise ship. Um, what we're talking about is known as a tort. A tort is a wrong committed against someone else. It's not criminal in nature, but allows for financial compensation to the injured party. To have a tort, there are basically four different elements. Number one, you've got to have a duty. In the situation with a cruise ship, there's a duty to provide a safe environment for people boarding the cruise ship. There has to secondly be a breach of that duty. So the breach of the duty would be not providing that safe environment. The third part is something called causation. You have to show that that duty that was breached caused the final part, which is damages, an injury, some sort of financial or medical, physical damage you've sustained as a result of it. Now, specifically, there is a couple that has already filed a million-dollar lawsuit against Princess Cruise Line. Uh, the husband, I think, is 74. The wife, 69, I think. Uh, they have not tested positive for coronavirus themselves. However, they are on board that uh, Grand Princess cruise ship that's now docked off the coast of California. That cruise ship had set sail on February 21st with them on board, uh, to Hawaii and back and on their way back to California on March 4th they were told to anchor off of the coast of California so everything seems okay right now but but here's where the tort issue comes into play it turns out that on the prior cruise before this couple boarded that ship there were passengers that did test positive for the coronavirus so when the next cruise uh, the next week cruise came along this couple boarded along with everybody else they were not warned and not told about prior people on the last cruise that did test positive so they boarded the cruise ship 
again, not knowing that there had been positive tests of people that had just left the cruise ship. So there is a duty to provide a safe environment. They potentially breached that duty by not warning this couple as they got on board ship. In fact, their attorney said that they chose to place profits over the safety of its passengers, crew, and general public by not informing these guests along with others that boarded. Uh, He went on to say that knowing that some of the passengers and crew had already been exposed to the coronavirus, the defendant exposed the plaintiffs. Again, they have not tested positive. That's a key element to this, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. It's just the exposure. It's the exposure at this point, correct. So having said all that, they boarded the cruise ship. The cruise ship went to Hawaii, came back. They're now stuck on board this cruise ship. I think they may have disembarked yesterday or maybe today. But nonetheless, being exposed to that coronavirus, they have at least the first couple of elements. They've got the duty. They've got the breach of the duty. Or they've got the, the, yeah, the duty and the breach of the duty. The causation, if they do turn out to test positive for coronavirus themselves, then they could potentially show the causation being that they were exposed to the coronavirus on that cruise ship. And the damages would come from their medical bills and eventually pain and suffering, lost wages, whatever else flows from their treatment or potentially their being quarantined for a period of time because they now have coronavirus. So the lawsuit's been filed. And yes, that lawsuit can potentially move forward as long as they can show all elements of that tort and they may very well be able to do it. So potentially this lawsuit could get a lot bigger. Oh, absolutely. Everyone on that cruise ship. Yeah, potentially. Not, right. And let's not just limit it to that. There's a Waffle House here in town. Yes, the Waffle House. That made the news. If they knew, and that's that's the key, you have to show that they knew or should have known that there was a risk and they had a duty, therefore, to warn the general public and prevent that uh, them from being exposed to that potential risk. And clearly these, these uh, passengers on this ship were exposed. Now, whether or not they come down with it, that still remains to be seen. But at least the initial parts of a tort claim exist based on what's happened. But what liability, what if they're losing wages now because they're they're stuck on a ship? And that is something they could potentially argue, which would allow the case to at least move forward to a jury. And a jury can make that determination. A jury is the ultimate trier of fact. And if a jury does determine that all those elements are present and the damage element itself is limited to just the, the financial side of it, the lost wages, then sure, they can potentially carry a claim that would move all the way forward to a jury for them to decide what uh, amount of damages, if any, would be appropriate for what happened to them. Okay. Well, if anyone listening, if you have any questions, again, about the legal aspect of corona, we're not here to answer medical questions, but um, we, we told you at the top of the show you know, how to submit. And this is definitely, you know, a hot topic right now. Oh, and, absolutely. you know, as more cases are popping up and events are being canceled, uh, travel is being canceled, uh, you know, we're definitely going to see a lot more of this in the news sure. in the weeks and months to come. We are going to move on to the topic of the day, and I'm really excited to get to this. This is the McDonald's coffee case. And we are going to talk about the myths and we're going to debunk some of this. I know that when I heard about this case, there was a ton of misconception. My friends and I, you hear the verdict, uh, even the verdict itself. Oh, she won $100 million because she spilled hot coffee on her. So let, we're going to go through this. Derek, start with the facts. Tell us what happened in this very, very famous lawsuit. You're exactly right. There are a lot of misconceptions that, that center around the McDonald's coffee case. HBO even made a documentary about this case. It's been publicized in many different arenas, but there's still a lot of, unfortunately, misconception of the facts. And starting with the basics, and I want to cover those facts because these are important. 
this event occurred in February of 1992 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A 79-year-old lady named Stella Lieback, uh, one of the things you hear is that she was driving her car and spilled the coffee. Well, that in, in and of itself is already wrong. Stella was a passenger in a 1989 Ford Probe that was being driven by her grandson. Now, I don't know if anybody still owns a 1989 Ford Probe, but those don't have cup holders. So when they went through the drive-thru, she bought a 49-cent cup of coffee. They pulled over into a parking space there at the McDonald's, and she put the coffee cup between her knees to lift the lid to put cream and sugar in it. And she tried to open the lid towards her body, so with it being between her knees, went to open the lid. And as she did, the cup tipped over, and when it tipped over, it uh, spilled, spilled the coffee into her lap. And this is also a very important fact. She was wearing cotton sweatpants at the time, which absorbed that coffee. And in absorbing the coffee, it held that coffee against her skin for a longer period of time, scalding her thighs, her buttocks, her groin. And, and she sustained some very serious injuries. Oh, I'm, I'm cringing right now just thinking about that. How severe? Well, the severity of the burns, it was third degree burns, which are also known as full thickness burns. Uh, that covered over 6% of her body. Uh, there were lesser burns over another 16% of her body. And again, we're talking about her uh, thighs, her buttocks, her groin. Uh, so you're talking about areas that are very sensitive for sure and, and very painful. Uh, she was hospitalized as a result of the injuries for eight days. They performed many skin grafts to try and repair the damage done. During the time in the hospital, this lady lost 20 pounds uh, apparently, she only weighed 100 pounds at the time because they've attributed that to being 20% of her body weight lost while she was there in the hospital. Uh, after getting out of the hospital, she had three additional weeks of assistance at home because she could not move uh, around the house. She was confined to a bed. She has permanent disfigurement as a result of that. Uh, unfortunately, she's now passed away, uh, but she did have permanent disfigurement uh, from the, the injuries. And she was also partially disabled for another two years after the injury. Well, those are very serious and, and almost kind of horrific injuries to be burned like that. But what made McDonald's responsible for these injuries? Good question. And that's where the misconception really comes into play a lot. Again, let's go back to the definition of a tort. Um, there are four elements of what you've got to prove to be able to show there is a, a tort, a valid tort. Number one is a duty. Number two is a breach of duty. Third is causation. And fourth is damages. So in the trial itself, which occurred back in August of 94, there were a lot of things that were done to prepare for trial, depositions, what's known as discovery, where documents are exchanged and they get a chance to, under oath, ask questions of a lot of, of people involved with McDonald's uh, management and, and higher ups. And it turns out in discovery, they found out that McDonald's required, and that's a key word, required their franchisees to serve coffee at temperatures between 180 to 190 degrees. It's even in their training manuals. So 180 to 190 degree temperatures for their coffee. Now, evidence also showed that coffee should never be served, according to experts, at over 140 degrees for restaurants and, and coffee houses. And all the other restaurants and coffee houses in that area were around that 140 degree temperature. Now, I'm a coffee drinker. And if you hand me a cup of coffee at 190 degrees, it's going to take me an hour for it to cool down. Oh, absolutely. I can even ingest it. You'd burn your lips, your tongue. Sure, uh, that, sure. Okay. And that's an important fact. And again, we'll, we'll kind of get to that too a little bit more later. But just as a point of fact, coffee makers that we have in our home, and you can think of any of the coffee maker brands, they typically prepare coffee at 135 to maybe 140 degrees max. That's what their settings are. But we're talking 180 to 190 so the 
the jury heard expert testimony that at that temperature between 180 to 190, it takes three seconds for that to cause third degree burns. Three seconds. That's a very short period of time. And the difference between 180 to 190 degrees, if the coffee had been served at 160 degrees, which is still hotter than it should be, it takes 20 seconds, 20 seconds to cause an, an injury uh, of that degree, third degree burns, if at all. At 180 degrees, it takes 12 to 15 seconds. So over 180 degrees, it's three seconds. Under 180 degrees or around 180, you're talking 12 to 15 seconds. If it's 160 degrees, it's 20 seconds. So McDonald's argued in the depositions in the discovery phase that the coffee at the drive through window was served at 180 to 190 degrees because people would not drink it until they got to their destination, whether it's work or home or their kids baseball practice whatever it may be and they wanted the coffee to still be hot when they got there and that contradicted mcdonald's own surveys their own surveys showed that when people go through the drive through to purchase coffee they drink it while they drive but they argued in court in depositions that oh we did that because they don't want to drink it until they get to their destination and we want it to still be hot when they go to drink it again even though their surveys showed people don't wait they also showed documents that McDonald's received more than 700 reports, again, that's 700 reports of burn injuries from their coffee between the years of 1982 and 1992 when this occurred. So 10 years warning with over 700 injury claims to, to make some changes. So hold on a minute. I'm going to pause on this. 700 reports of injuries and they didn't change the temperature of the coffee. Absolutely. You're, that's correct. And again, that's one of those facts that people don't hear when they think, oh, jackpot justice, a lady went after $100 million. We haven't even talked about the verdict yet. So again, that's one of those things that when you hear that, you realize they had warning, they knew or should have known there is a an inherent danger at serving a coffee or, or coffee or any, any food, beverage, whatever at that temperature. In fact, those uh, 700 cases, they paid out over 500,000 500000 in settlement money to those 700 cases of, of injury. McDonald's officials also admi admitted that they knew of the danger and specifically said they did nothing to prevent it, even knowing that people were getting hurt. In fact, McDonald's own, and his title was quality control manager, testified, and I'm going to quote him, the number of injuries based on the billions of cups of coffee served is insufficient to cause the company to evaluate its practices. He went on to say that the food and beverage served at 140 degrees created a burn hazard. He acknowledged that. He knew that. But he said, quoting, restaurants had more pressing dangers to worry about. So very flippant, very nonchalant. Yeah, we knew about it. Yeah, we have other things to worry about. That's not that important. And the plaintiff's expert who they employed from the University of Texas testified that the risk of harm was unacceptable that there is no reason why McDonald's or any other kind of establishment should put people at risk by serving a beverage or any any item at that temperature because of the burn hazard. Well, look what happened to Stella. I mean, this Absolutely. is probably the most severe and it, it's heartbreaking. It seems like extreme negligence and, now and that you it. hear the facts. And we go back to the, the duty and the breach of the duty. And, and having said that, McDonald's admitted through their the depositions of, of many folks that were affiliated with the, the management part of the company, they admitted that customers were completely unaware of the extent of risk for serious burns with coffees or any kind of liquid at that temperature, uh, which they're required to at least warn or, or make them aware of the risk associated with that. McDonald's didn't warn of that risk. 
McDonald's executives testified very dismissively uh, and, again, kind of nonchalant that it was cheaper uh, to pay out those injury claims than it was to to make changes. So, again, the bottom dollar was, eh, it's less expensive to, to pay out these claims as opposed to making changes. And, and I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead a little bit. The reason why they thought it was cheaper, because back then, we're talking 1992, there were only two beverages you could get free refills on at McDonald's and most other restaurants, coffee and water. That's it. So if they had to refill coffee during the time someone sat in the restaurant to eat, then it's going to cost them another cup of coffee to pour it and refill it. But if they serve that coffee at 180 to 190 degrees, it's going to take a lot longer to drink it. Therefore, people that were there in the restaurant aren't going to have the time to, to finish that cup of coffee and get a refill before they left. So they saved money. They save money by not having to refill that drink. And again, we'll kind of talk about changes, but nowadays you kind of get refills on everything. Coffee, soft drinks, tea, water, whatever. What about Stella, her family, right after the injury happened? Do we know any facts? Did her family ever try to talk to McDonald's about what happened? Yes, they did. In fact, Stella's daughter uh, reached out to McDonald's on her own. Before any attorney was involved, she sent a letter to McDonald's attempting to try and settle the, the claim. And all she was asking for at the time was $20,000, which was a specific amount because that was the amount to cover the out-of-pocket medical bills that Stella had to pay, as well as the lost wages for her daughter who had to take time off of work to take care of her. So her daughter said, hey, McDonald's, we you know, acknowledge the fact that my, my mom was, was burned, third-degree burns from this coffee. If you simply pay the $20,000, not anything more than that, to cover the out-of-pocket co- out cost for her medical treatment and, and my lost wages, we can be done with this. I want to get to the end. I want to know what the verdict is, and I don't know. But hold on one second before we, we jump there, and I hope everyone listening is as excited about it as I am because I, I want justification for this woman, and I don't even know who she is. What did McDonald's do? Did they try to solve the case? Well, that's... Settle. I said solve. Did they try to settle the case? Yes and no. I'll say yes, they did in the sense that they did make an offer, but no, they really didn't. There's such thing as good faith. This was not a good faith response. Their response was an offer of $800. So when they received the letter, they said, yeah, we see your 20 grand, but we'll offer $800. So the family, because of that $800 offer, made the decision to contact an attorney. And the attorney then filed suit. So... Again, before any attorney was involved, they made a good faith attempt to try and get this resolved. McDonald's response was, yeah, here's 800 bucks. So then when they filed the, or hired the attorney, the attorney filed suit and attempted to settle the case for $300,000. Not only the medical bills, but the pain and suffering element, the lost wages, more than the family even knew that they were entitled to ask for. The attorney went for that $300,000 mark. It went on to a mediation prior to trial. The mediator, who was an independent mediator, heard the facts on both sides and he recommended a settlement of 225000 as being fair. Well, McDonald's continued to refuse to pay it and still stuck with their $800 offer. So they wound up going all the way to trial. All right. Give us the verdict. Here's where the real meat and potatoes of this comes into play, and this is where a lot of the misconception comes from. There are actually three parts to the verdict. There's something known as comparative negligence, and let me address that first. Comparative negligence means that a jury is instructed to assign a percentage of fault for both parties in this claim. You know, you look at a car wreck or any other kinds of uh, personal injury claims, they do it in that as well. But in this specific claim, the jury assigned 80% of the blame to McDonald's because they served an inherently dangerous product that they knew or should have known, and granted they admittedly knew, that it was dangerous. So 80% of the blame was put on McDonald's. The jury also said, Stella, you're 20% at fault 
because of the way she tried to open the coffee and unfortunately spilled it in her lap. She did that, and it was part of her negligence. So the jury said comparative negligence, 80% McDonald's, 20% Stella. The next part of it was the compensatory damages, the damages, which are two parts, special damages, which are the medical bills, uh, and also to the, the other part, which is general damages, which is pain and suffering. The jury awarded Stella $200,000 for those compensatory damages. Applying the comparative negligence analysis, though, her verdict, her $200,000 in compensatory damages was reduced to uh, $160,000, which attributed to the 20% blame on her. So they gave her $200,000, but because she was 20% at fault, it was reduced by 20% down to $160,000. And the final part was punitive damages. And the jury awarded $2.7 million against McDonald's for punitive damages to Stella. All right. What are punitive damages? And where does that astronomical amount come from? Punitive damages are designed to punish a defendant for egregious conduct conduct that's so bad a jury is allowed to give the plaintiff more money to punish the defendant to keep them from doing the same stupid thing again in the future or dangerous thing you know in a car wreck let's talk about that for a second you're you're looking at punitive damages when the defendant's dui or reckless driving or hit and run something that is so bad it shocks the conscience and a jury's allowed to punish them again to hopefully keep them from doing the same thing again in the future so the jury did, did determine that punitive damages were warranted against mcdonald's in this case and that the jury came back with a $2.7 million figure. Now, here's where that came from. And to me, this was kind of brilliant uh, strategy on behalf of her attorney. He argued for one to two days worth of coffee revenue for McDonald's worldwide, which amounted to $1,350,000 per day. That's what McDonald's makes on coffee, just coffee. We're not talking about anything else. $1,350,000. So the jury said, yeah, that's appropriate. And they gave her two days worth of coffee sales, which was the $2.7 million punitive damage aspect of this. Now, the trial judge has the ability to step in and reduce that punitive award if they feel like it was excessive. And the trial judge did. The trial judge reduced that punitive aspect down to $480,000. So the eventual verdict was $480,000 for punitive damages and the $160,000, which was the reduced from the $200,000 for compensatory damage. So her total verdict was $640,000. Even though you hear the story being told of, oh, $100 million, $10 million, $50 million, whatever that number is, the answer is no. It was $640,000. In fact, after that verdict was returned, McDonald's appealed the verdict. And when they appealed the verdict, it went on to an eventual confidential settlement. And all uh, sides are not allowed to talk. But, but many people think that settlement was less than $600,000, which would probably be an accurate guesstimate as to what the final amount was. So there was an eventual settlement. It never went through an appellate court, but somewhere probably below 600000 was that final amount. Now, interestingly, the trial judge described McDonald's conduct during this trial, and again, quoting the judge, as reckless, callous, and willful. I'd throw in there disgusting because I felt like personally it was. They are giving someone a product that they knew full well would cause third-degree burns in a matter of three seconds. Three seconds that changed this life, this lady's life forever. So what are some effects of the verdict? Well, because of that verdict, and there was a lot of media publicity that, in my opinion, was pushed by corporations. I think a lot of 
plaintiff's attorneys for sure would agree with me. Corporations pushing to try and, and go for something known as tort reform. And we'll talk more about that later in a different show. But changes in practice when it comes to customer safety, how products are be, to be prepared and served uh, to the general public in restaurants, uh, fast food restaurants or otherwise. As I mentioned earlier, there are now free refills almost everywhere on all beverages. That was kind of one of the changes that came with that. Um, you know, the lower food temperatures and beverage temperatures is now attempting to, to take away that inherently dangerous product. And really, another thing that's kind of a side note is they now have stronger, more expensive cups, interestingly, that they use for coffee. Back then, the, the cups were rather flimsy, and there was always a question, too, as to whether or not that cup actually disintegrated from the heat and the temperature of the coffee, which could very well have happened. Boiling, I believe, is 200, 220 degrees Fahrenheit to boil. So at 180 to 190 degrees, you were very close to that. Uh, in fact, the boiling point, I, I wrote this down, 212 degrees. So they're dancing right around that point, uh, you know, again, with 180 to 190 degree temperatures for coffee. Well, Derek, thank you so much for going through all of this with us. I find this absolutely fascinating, and I hope all of our listeners are too. We're going to go one more time and tell everyone listening how they can submit a legal question that we will get to on the show. And how can they find you? If someone has something, they, again, the questions, but they want you to represent them, where, where on social media and your website? I'll definitely get to that. But before I do that, I want to say, too, this is one of those shows that I personally wanted to make sure I covered because you can't imagine over the 20, almost 25 years I've been doing this, how many times I've been asked about the coffee verdict and how many different fallacies there are. She's driving, she hit a bump, spilled the coffee, $100 million, $10 million, $50 million. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people say, that crazy lady spilled the coffee and then she had the nerve to go after McDonald's. But I hope this clarifies a lot of those misconceptions. I hope that now people will at least look at this in a different light and see that there is... You know, justification to not only the dollar amount that she received, but the logic that went into what the jury decided to do in this case. And clearly, again, they were warranted in doing that. I appreciate everything today. And thanks again for hosting. Let's get to the social media. You can find me at DerekMHayes.com, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M, Hayes, H-A-Y-S.com. That's my website. You can also find me on Facebook, the law office of Derek M. Hayes, Instagram, the law office of Derek M. Hayes, or you can call my office. My uh, number is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. Remember, the initial consultation is always free. I'm happy to talk to anybody. And if there is something I can help you with, I'll be more than happy to discuss what I can do to take on your claim and move forward. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.